you don't have a relationship with a customer until you've proven you can deliver value. Just making the sale isn't a relationship. The relationship comes as you expand and prove the value you're delivering. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about what could be potentially one of the largest opportunities that's missed by B2B companies to grow their revenue. And this is all around using inbound marketing principles to grow with existing clients. So taking tactics and approaches and and methods that we use typically to go to drive inbound and then applying them to those existing clients to see if we can't continue to evolve our penetration of the account, how well we're locked locked in and so forth. To help us, we have with us Todd Hockenberry from Topline Results. Todd, thank you so much for taking time and welcome to the show. Chad, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So we always ask, uh, at the beginning, we always ask one random question just so the audience gets a, a good sense of, of you as an individual. And I'm back to one that has, I don't know, it's kind of been my go-to for a while. But when you look back over your career and you think about kind of a big event or, or maybe something that happened that maybe changed the trajectory of your career or gave you insights that uh, you continue to apply today, you know, kind of looking back, what was that event and what did you take away from it? That's a fun first question, Chad. Um, um, I thought about this and, and the thing that's really, really sticks with me is back when we started Top Line Results. And, and right before that, I had moved my family and my three grade school age children to Florida from Pennsylvania to take a job running a manufacturing company. And uh, unfortunately, it was right in the teeth of the Great Recession in 2008. So the big impactful thing that happened to me was I got fired. And uh, I found myself trying to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my business life. And and over a weekend, my wife and I sat down and, and kind of really had some soul searching conversations to try to understand kind of what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go. And, and um, we focused on uh, the things that we love to do and the things that we were most effective doing. And it really boiled down to helping companies grow and helping businesses grow. So that's where we start, started Top Line Results. And the thing that I keep coming back to that, that we had conversations about that first weekend were about value. And not only on on what we how we positioned the company as top line results and the value we brought because all the companies I'd worked for had grown over the years, and my wife has a master's in IT, so we combined our kind of sales and marketing and technical skills together to form top line results, and and we started to really focus on value for companies, not just selling services or deliverables, but really trying to understand how to deliver value to companies. And then the other thing we did was we we always built our offerings and proposals around value-based fees. So that helped us get profitable quickly and only take clients where we could not only demonstrate value to them, where they would agree the value that we were bringing and, and the outcomes they were going to get, and then compensating us accordingly. So by ba- building our business on that idea of value, we were able to uh, grow uh, quickly and be profitable and we just passed our 10 year mark. So uh, that's been the founding principle kind of on what we do. And I think in this conversation, I'm going to keep coming back to that point because I think it's so important, but that's the one thing where really, really hit me where I had to understand what value was, how people perceived it, how to deliver it, and then how to sell it. 
Yeah, that's awesome. First, congratulations on 10 years. There are, there are not you. many, not many companies that make that mark far, far more fail to make the five year mark, let alone the 10 years. So congratulations on that. There's a lot in that I would love to jump into. One thing that you said though, value based approach to pricing or go to market. So I want to make sure yeah. I understand. You basically are saying to your customers, okay, hey, we're going to do X services, whatever those services may be. And we'll get into that in a second. And then you pay us based on the type of results that you get. So if you get to say a mid level, like right here, you pay us our typical rates. If you, if you go above that, you pay us a kicker or a multiplier on that. Am I understanding that correctly? Sort of. Um, that's really more of a performance based pricing model where you get paid for the performance. And we did not do that because we're selling essentially our time and our expertise. What we did was we agreed up front on the value, or we do, we still do this. We agree up front on the value that we're going to bring, whether it's uh, improved sales performance or reduced churn uh, in the customer success role, uh, or it's, it's awareness driving upfront uh, new leads or, or again, awareness in a new market or turning around a sales team that's failing, whatever it is, we agree on the value of, of the, of the outcome we want to bring. And then we price, it accordingly. So we wouldn't necessarily do a performance base because a lot of times the execution is really up to the sales team and the client. <laughs> that we're working, right? I can't control them. What right. I can do is I can lead them and I can show them where they need to go. And we would say, for example, we're working on a big customer retention project right now with a client and their retention numbers have gone down. So we've, we've defined the value. The value is to improve customer retention by 10% and that results in X dollars of revenue. So therefore we say, okay, that's the that's the outcome of the project. You're going to pay us this much, and usually, the general rough envelope back in the envelope calculation we use is anywhere from ten to twenty x on value. That's what we'll charge for fees. So now the key is you have to deliver that, right? You can't absolutely <laughs> can't have that kind of approach. If you don't deliver, right, then you won't have the stories, you won't have referrals, or you won't have the case studies to prove that you can deliver what you say. But we have, and we've done that over the years, so we can we can do that. But that's what I think about when I think of value-based fees. Okay, excellent. So, and I'm glad I clarified that. So, from a from a value standpoint, it isn't about the price. This is about the impact of business. Maybe it's an increase in margin. Maybe it's an incre- decrease in sales cycles, or deal increase in deal sizes, or less turnover as your uh, of your customer base or new customer acquisition, things of those nature, business metrics, essentially, that they're trying to impact. You talk about and work with them to understand the impact or the value that, that it's going to provide to the business. Right. Otherwise, you're stuck selling deliverables and hours and, <laughs> and um, you're, you're selling web pages, you're selling blog posts, you're selling... You know, people will ask me, well, what's your hourly rate? And I'll just say, well, I don't have one. And uh, I stole this line from a guy named Alan Weiss, who, uh, if you're interested in studying value-based fees, Alan Weiss, his book is called Value-Based Fees. And it is the best book that I've ever read on the topic. So that's a plug for Alan Weiss. I don't get anything from that. So there's one for you, Alan. Um, <laughs> but um, his his line is that that if you quote hours or deliverables, you set up an, a contradictory or com, or a um, conflicting relationship with your client right off the bat. You want more hours, hours. Excuse me. You want to do less hours and get paid more. Your client wants you to get more work for less hours. So now you're already in conflict, right? So by, uh, and what ends up happening over time is as a seller, if you base your, your, your offering on hours or any kind of deliverable like that, you, you will, you will see it commodified or commoditized, commodified. I think I just made up a word. Uh, commoditized. <laughs> you heard it here exactly. first. Folks. <laughs> it sounds like a company commodified. Um, 
so you can you, you get commoditized, you get more competition over time, and it's much, much harder to differentiate. And you lose the ability to be kind of in a position of an advisor or a consultant because you're now you're just a deliver your delivery service, right? And that's can be compared easily and commoditized and, and you're gonna your price is gonna go down over time. But if you're value-based pricing and you're delivering that that increase value and tying your work to those results, you have a chance to continue to actually increase your fees over time because they're tied to actual outcomes. And, um, and you can stay in a position where, where you're, you're really the consultant and trusted advisor. This is where you get into the difference between an agency and a, a consulting model. And we, We've done agency type work, but we really stick with commodity. We're more consulting and coaching, advising work, and it's much easier to stay in the um, value-based fees realm if you're in that in that side of the business. Absolutely, I could. You are speaking my language. It is. It is. Uh, it is a pet peeve of mine when agencies, having worked, you know, spent ten years in agencies before I started doing the stuff that we're doing now, and it was a pet peeve of mine that we were quoting things out on. Well, it's going to take this many hours versus that many hours. First off, you don't know. Right. I mean, because you don't know what kind of interaction model they're going to have. You don't know what kind of engagement model or, or implementation model or even the skill set really of the people you're going to be working with. I mean, the people you sell typically in the agency space are different than the ones that you sell or that you work with. So it just always created, you know, back to your Alan Weiss plug, uh, it created conflict out of the gate. So I love it. I mean, definitely, definitely speak my language and I could spend the entire podcast talking about <laughs> However, that's not what we're, not what we're here for. One of the things that, we focused on when we were prepping for this was, you know, you, you kind of caught my attention by saying there's a huge missed opportunity out there that you believe B2B companies are either not paying attention to, don't understand how to engage with, or are not 100% sure how to apply in their specific situation. And this is about using those inbound marketing principles to grow with existing clients. So I would love to understand, you know, why is that a passion point for you today? And, and kind of give me some background on that. Sure. Uh, Chad, I, I do a lot of work with uh, industrial and manufacturing companies. And um, I found, I mean, obviously there's the old cliche, right? It costs you ten, seven times more to get a new customer than to keep an existing one, right? So if you believe that, and I do, it's probably even higher than that. I'm going to leverage that, right? If I've got limited resources and the l- most limited resource you have is not even your time or your money, it's your people's attention. Right. So if that's the, if that's the foundation you're coming from, I've got my customer's attention. I have a credibility well of goodwill built up with them, hopefully, if they're doing a good job, where I can talk to them. I can ask them questions. I can learn from them. I can ask them about other things. I can, I can start to see if there's other goals or outcomes we can influence. So if you start from that kind of premise, then what I've seen happen so often with our clients, one of the first things I ask is, I just ask prospects, I say, well, how do you interact with your current clients? Oh, well, you know, we're here when they need us. They call if they have a problem. Our sales guys show up every once in a while, right? And, and I say, well, how, how, often do you, how often do you promote new content to them? And they kind of look at me and I was like, well, do you send, you know, do you send them regular content to tell them the, the you know, at the one year mark, what they should be doing to make sure their equipment or this tool or whatever they bought is working at its highest capacity or it's meeting the expectations. Are you sharing videos on ways to troubleshoot this piece of equipment or whatever it is? And, and on and on. And they almost, it's probably more than 90% of companies, they just say, oh yeah, we don't really do that. They, they essentially are reactive. They wait for the phone to call and then they respond, which is great. You have to do that. But the opportunity missed is that you 
you really have, you, you aren't deepening the relationship anywhere near as far as you can go and expanding the value you can deliver to those, those customers. And again, you can go a lot of ways here. It's, it's, the inbound marketing principles, well, we talked about this in our book, Inbound Organization, where the inbound marketing principles need to be applied across every person in your organization. And this is where they need to be applied to the kind of after-service account management, customer success, and service teams, because there's so many opportunities for you to understand what's going on in the world, understanding how you're, what you promise them, is it actually delivering on the promise so you can adjust, you can work back to the stream to see if, make sure your salespeople are selling the right thing and your production people are building the right things and your designers are designing the right things. And the opportunity is to build the relationship. And where, where I love the idea of a relationship, everybody talks about this, you want to have relationships, but the reality is you don't have a relationship with a customer until you've proven you can deliver value. Just making the sale isn't a relationship. The relationship comes as you expand and prove the value you're delivering. Because I've got clients that I've worked with and known for almost 10 years since the beginning of our business. And I like them personally. They like me personally. And maybe we'd exchange Christmas cards. And if I was in their town, I would see them or say hi. But the, you know what the end of the day is? If, if I'm not continuing to deliver value to them after eight, nine, 10 years, they're not going to keep working with me. My relationship isn't going to be based on the fact that they like me or I like them or we've had some fun together, had a couple of beers together. It's going to be based on the value that I brought and I continue to bring, period. That's the relationship, right? This is where I think people miss it. They they think the value is, is, is well, this is a big issue. The, it, it, people mistake the value way too much in the features and benefits and the specifications <laughs> of the product. Amen. People still mess that up. They still mess that up a lot. I'll get to that. And if we get into prospecting, I want to get into that too. But the opportunity is to use inbound tools and technology and thinking, which is around content, which is about being attractive and helpful and sharing information before you extract value. That's the fundamental core of what inbound is. So do that in your service and your, your customer success. Share helpful content send them videos, send them checklists, make sure they're, they're getting the value out of the, the product or service that they expected. Don't wait for the phone to ring. Be proactive. And, and Chad, I'm not kidding. I've had clients where I've, I've asked them this question and they'll say, well, you know, our database isn't really good. It's not really up to date. You know, we're not even really sure we have contacts with all of our customers. That is not uncommon. That is not uncommon, right? So how can you possibly... So, so if you use that seven times more to get new customers formula, you're, you're stuck spending all your time and money spending seven times more to go get a new net new customer, which is what everybody wants to focus on than in keeping that other customer. This is such a simple, basic point. Everybody shakes their head. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But in practice, I'm talking about is in practice, not Allen Iverson practice, but like in, in actually practicing, right? <laughs> That's an NBA reference for you NBA fans. It's about what you do day in, day out, right? Where you spend your time, where you spend your money, where you invest your, your effort at creating content. Are you spending the time and effort with inbound ideas and talking to your current customers, right? And one of the most powerful things you can do with your inbound marketing is ask the question, did you know? Or are you aware of? <clears throat> or have you thought of? Or do you ever, right? Ask them these kind of questions and then share content around the answers. And what you'll find is they'll come back and they'll say, yeah, you know, we have that problem too. Let's talk to one of your sales guys. We might be able to help us, right? When, when I was a VP of sales and I had sales guys working for me, 
the worst thing I ever heard from customers was, Hey, we just bought this. We didn't know you did that. Right. And that's what you, yeah. that's the problem you can solve. If you use inbound marketing principles with your existing customer base. Well, and it's an, it's, I mean, it's an awareness thing, right? I mean, most it's an awareness from the organization and it's, I think, you know, I've seen it stem from the fact that a lot of organizations focus on that contract closing. And if it's, you know, services, the implementation or the delivery of the product or whatever it is, and they consider that a closed opportunity or a closed account, right? It's even in some of the sales process that you'll see, but if you really change the focus, take a deep breath and change the focus and realize they're not buying your features functions. They're not buying the product. They're buying the outcomes that those products will deliver. And those outcomes may be delayed from the point of delivery or the beginning of implementation. And you set your process up so that you can go on that journey with them. You know by when they want to see those results. And then once they've seen those, okay, what what do they want to see next? It becomes a much more natural evolution. I just don't see companies focusing on it to your point as much as they should. And I'm not a hundred percent. I mean, unless it's driven by our quarterly mentality, you know, for, for financials, I'm not a hundred percent sure where it comes from. Part of me wants to say it's lazy. And maybe part of me wants to say it's just lack of awareness or understanding of how to do it. I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear your kind of thoughts on that. Well, the, I'm going to come back to that question. You just said something that made me rethink something I've been saying for 30 years, 30 plus years. Sorry, I have gray, I have gray hair. If you can't, you guys can't see me. I, I don't have any, so you're ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing this for a while. You just said that you just said something very interesting. You said you talk about closed business. That language is so wrong. It's that's, I, I'm going to change. I'm never going to say that again. I'm never going to use that in a, in a deal stage or opportunity pipeline. It's not closed. It's opening the relationship. When you win the sale, you've opened the pathway to a relationship. That's what I was just saying, but the language of everybody says, close the deal, close the deal. It should be, it's the opposite. You're opening the relationship. That's what's really happening. You're opening the opportunity to have a relationship and continue to add value and drive value for that customer. Because that's what, they're people, right? They're human beings. That's what they want. Nobody wants to buy things, right? They want to have this, they want to get the outcomes. They want to get the, the results on the other end. And when you, when you close the deal, right? Or when you get their decision, they sign on the bottom line. All you've done is you've opened a pathway to that relationship. I love it. I learned something today myself. Very nice. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. So let's talk just real quick. When, when, when you think about these principles, so there's a, several components to it. It sounds like to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but there's obviously, there's obviously a mindset. There's a perspective and we're talking about that with language, but I think there's also a process, a process approach either enabled or hindered by the technology that somebody's using to keep it, to make sure they have the contacts to, to go back to your earlier point, to have the contact information for your existing customers, but also the, the massive onslaught of technology that we see, everybody's got a silver bullet for the MarTech stack. Now, working in, you know, primarily with manufacturers and stuff, they're historically, or maybe it's a cliche, I don't know, uh, kind of, I don't want to say laggards, but slower to adopt some of the new tech that, that hits the market. Are you seeing, when you work with clients and get them to understand they got to change their mindset and their perspective, it's not about closing business, it's about opening the relationship. Are, are they struggling with the technology, like retargeting the technology that is typically in their mind used for outbound, um, or to drive inbound to, to retarget it towards growing existing accounts? Is there a friction point there that you're seeing in these companies? Yeah. It's, 
industrial kind of manufacturing and a lot of B2B companies are very good at things like shop floor automation or managing their production side with technology. They're often very good at and have modern tools for kind of ERP on the financial, the back end management side. And they almost always lag on the marketing and sales end. Obviously, if you're talking about SaaS companies, they they get it, right? They're ahead of the game. And in the book we wrote, Inbound Organization, we'd spent a lot of time with HubSpot. So clearly, they're a marketing automation company. And then the back end, how they use it, use technology internally was, was pretty amazing to kind of get under the hood and watch. But the issue is, right, there's not value. They don't, the owners of these companies don't see the value in it. I have a client and we've been working with them for a few years. They've got four different divisions around the world. You've got marketing, sales, and service, and they all have different databases and contact. It's brutal. They have 12 different and they're not connected. They don't talk. And, you know, they've been very successful and grown a profitable, good company. And they just haven't recognized the value yet. And where it's going to hurt them is this, this kind of disjointed experience where you have marketing knows one thing about this contact sales knows another service knows a third. They're not talking at some point that's going to, that it is going to catch up with them where this experience, the customer get isn't seamless. It's not integrated and they're answering the same questions over and over again. And there's not kind of, there's a time lag, right? Somebody has to hang up the phone and go research and figure out what happened and then come back to them. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect that customer experience piece where that continues to grow in terms of differentiation in the B2B world, right? That, this customer experience. So the issue has been, I don't think owners have seen the urgency of it, but as they move forward into a the more and more parity where there's, there's, there's very hard to differentiate on the product and the features, you know, quality and, and, and good features are kind of table stakes. So with lots of competition, the differentiation comes down to other things. And oftentimes it's that customer experience. So the companies that can have that seamless sharing of information across their entire team, where the team can now act on it and, and deliver value back to the customer in terms of the experience, they're going to, they're going to win more than they lose. And that's where the technology is going to be important. And, um, we also see it with, um, again, with the customers. We're doing basic things with companies that are new to this and basically using, say, basic type of workflows where we would show them how to say, here's your customer list. Notify a salesperson or, or a customer success person when somebody's back on the website. Right. Because again, basic things or opening emails, starting to use these behavioral triggers from your customer base to then trigger your reaction, how you can then serve them better is starting to get them in that proactive mindset. And as they see results from that, then they're going to, they're going to say, Hey, we want to do more. So that's where I would say that if you have, um, if you need as a marketing agency or a consultant to try to help people adopt marketing technology, the, there's a lot of skepticism. They're, they've been burned in the past and uh, you, you know, take it slowly a step at a time and show results and show value. And then you can build on that. Um, that's how we've done it successfully with our clients. And, um, you know, I just, I just took on a client last year that's half a billion dollar company, very successful, didn't have CRM, 27, lo- 27 locations. And the, the question that I was asked was, we have no idea what happens with our leads. We're doing great. We're growing. We're profitable. We get all these leads in. We send them out to our salespeople. We have no idea which ones close, whether our trade shows are effective or advertising defective. Can you help us with that? That was the question. Uh-huh. Right? So it's a half a billion dollar company. So it is not uncommon, right? 
So I think startups get this younger folks, newer companies, SaaS companies certainly get it. They start with technology. They're used to it, but getting a company that's been successful, that's been around a while to get them to adopt it. That's a whole nother challenge. Yeah. And without a doubt, I mean, like I said, like I said earlier, it's that mind, there's that mindset, there's the process and the, and the tools, but then there's also the people, right? So you, you've got to have from the top, they have to see it. And then more importantly, the evolution of a, of a sales individual or a marketing individual in those companies who historically has not had to focus on, let's say precise, I don't want to use the word aggressive, but precise and focused account growth. Uh, and expansion, like, you know, you're just used to doing one off. The behaviors themselves almost contribute to the view that those things are commoditized rather than the development of that true relationship. I'm curious how, when you work with the sales teams, how you get them to look past that closed business point uh, and move them towards something that is going to be much more fruitful and beneficial over the long term. That's a tough one, right? Salespeople tend to get, um, they get yeah, well, and they, get, and they get paid on, they get paid. It's, it's a compensation issue too, right? I mean, you could change that behavior very quickly with your salespeople. If you, if you added one layer of compensation, let's just take it the kind of classic thing. Salesperson sells X dollars. They get paid X commissions on top of their draw or their salary. Really basic formula. Well, what if you added a retention piece to that? You now have a responsibility to retain your clients and grow them and upsell them at some percentage, right? Now, all of a sudden, you've incentivized them to pay more attention. Now, they've got to think about that process and not just be reactive, right? Because they're going to go with the hot leads. They're going to go with where they think they can close something today. So, again, you can get into hunting and farming, right? You know, growing accounts or or closing new accounts. I just used that word again. I'm going to expunge that one from my dictionary. (laughs) Versus account management, right? So those are different roles. So you can split the roles. We see customer success growing as a discipline, which I, I love. I think it's amazing to think about people that that's, you know, they're going to put build a methodology and process and best practices around that, that discipline, which I think is awesome. We've been trying to take that kind of thinking to our, to our traditional clients where customer success is a SaaS kind of a model. It grew out of that world and, apply, and taking those principles and applying it to people that sell tangible products, manufactured goods. And um, it's working where you kind of create health checks where you're looking at the health of the relationship and you're, you're, you're looking to see if they're getting the value out of it. Then again, you have opportunities. It's easy to train people that, that are looking for that to say, Hey, can, can you give us a referral? Right. Do, did you know we do this too? Right. And now all of a sudden you see growth because your relationship grows, you can expand that account And it's a lot less work, right? It's a lot less headache. There's, you know, little things like your customers probably will take your calls. They'll respond to your emails versus prospects. So, and you're not annoying them if you share something helpful with them. (laughs) So I think you just got to go back to that kind of the the principle, right? If you believe it's seven times more to get a new one versus keep an old one, then, then just go with the math. Absolutely. All right. So let's change direction a little bit here. Ask all of our guests kind of two standard questions at the end of each interview. First is simply as a founder of Topline, that makes you a quote unquote prospect or target for other people that are looking to sell. I'm always curious to know what gets people's attention. So somebody who doesn't have a relationship with you, who doesn't have built-in trust and credibility. What is it for you? If somebody really believes they have something or an approach that may help you in your business, what is it that works for you to capture your attention and that and have that individual earn the right to 15, 20, 30 minutes on your calendar? 
Yeah, everybody seems to think they have a right to that, right? You get the LinkedIn, <laughs> the LinkedIn request says, hey, we just want a quick call. That's, well, the two things that will get my attention are some connection to people I know, organizations I publicly am connected with, right? Get a referral, do a little work. Can you get somebody to connect the dots? I'll always pay attention to a friend who reaches out and says, hey, this person thinks they might be able to help you. Would you set up a time? I'm always going to do that. The second thing is, did you do your homework? It's not hard to tell if you didn't do your homework, if you, if you just send me some blanket kind of statement. Oh, you're in marketing. I, I get a bunch of stuff because we're, we're a HubSpot partner. So we get a lot of stuff that's related to agencies. And we're not an agency, so we know, I, that's not interesting to me. But it, we're not hard to figure out who we are, but very, very few people ever do their homework and kind of create anything of value. It's just, here's my pitch. I'm co- copying and pasting. Here you go. And um, that's just not interesting to me. And it, it's just so obvious when people do it. So if you can connect the dots and say, I heard you on uh, Chad's podcast and you were talking about value and we, we create value for our clients this way. And we think you can help you create more value for your customers that way. Would you be interested in having a conversation? Now you probably have my attention. Because you, you put a little context in there, you showed me you did a little homework, and you tried to show me in sp- specifically how I can make my world better. And even if you want to make me really get excited, show me how I can make my client's life better and or get more clients. And not just the standard, you know, here's our special lead generation process, check it out, right? That's not it. Like, be specific, get in my world a little bit, do a little homework. And um, you're better off doing five or 10 deep dives with a little bit of homework and context than you are 100 just spraying and praying. So that's, <laughs> right. that's my recommendation. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional services people, one piece of advice uh, that you could give that you believe would help them hit their targets or exceed their goals, what would it be and why? Very simple. It's basic empathy and being human. Put yourself in your prospect's shoes. Put yourself in your, your um, people that are in your pipeline shoes and say, you know, look in the mirror and ask the tough question. Am I worthy of their attention? Am I really bringing something to the table here that's helping? Am I really adding value or am I just trying to get them to check a box? And am I just going through my process? Get out of your own head, get in their heads and, uh, you know, be human and uh, you'll do much better. Perfect. Todd, if a listener's interested in, in talking more about top line, let's, well, let's start there. Cause I also want to send them somewhere for the book, but um, if they want to talk to top line or they want to talk to you specifically, do you prefer they hit the website or do you prefer they hit you on LinkedIn? What, what makes the most sense? Either one's fine. LinkedIn, just look up my name, Todd Hockenberry or our website's top dash line dash results.com. Either one of those is fabulous. Excellent. And for the book, is there a certain place that you're making more money on it? <laughs> the book but uh, <laughs> the book's been great I, uh, it's been a great experience you, uh, we have a website inboundorganization.com or you can just go to amazon and search inbound organization and that's fine and um check it out excellent todd i can't thank you enough thank you so much for taking time to be on the show it is my pleasure. I had a lot of fun today. And like I said, I learned something today. I'm going to, I'm going to get the word closing out of my dictionary forever. <laughs> That's what we're all about. Learning and evolution. All right, everybody. That does it for this episode. You know the drill. B2Brevexec.com. Share with friends, families, coworkers. Drop us a review on iTunes. Please let us know what kind of guests you'd like us to have. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. 
You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.